So, election. <laughs> Everyone chill out. Um, turn to your neighbor and say, God is still in control. <clears throat> and you know what? Like, let's be honest. Uh, finals are coming up. And if you're to be really honest, uh, you're, you didn't do so hot during your midterms. Right? So, I know it got real. Um, but here's the thing. Your task as college students, okay, it's really this. It's to love God, share the good news of Christ, and to study hard. Like, that's literally what's on your plate right now. We're called to love God. Say you love God. Love God. Right? Share good news. Share good news. And study hard. Right? Study hard. Do your best. You're a student. Uh, study your butts off. Do your best. Do what you can. But here's the thing. Now is not the time to get distracted about the what ifs. Okay? With all the election that's going on and, and everything, and you're thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow, the day after, four years from now, and all that stuff. And quite frankly, that's what Satan is trying to make you think and, and focus on, the, the end result. So that's why a lot of people are freaking out. Okay? But God is all about, hey, worry about what's here now. He's, he's saying, focus on the journey, okay? Because God's trying to do something new in you. Amen? Like, he's trying to work in us. He's trying to work in us. But Satan is trying to distract us by distracting us with the circumstances of life rather than relying and trusting in the faithfulness of God. He's trying to make us, he's trying to distract us with the agenda of the world, the politics, rather than the agenda of the kingdom of God. Now, whatever happens, good or bad, it will not thwart the current of God's magnificent will. Y'all believe that? All right? Whatever happens, good or bad, it will not mess up what God's doing because God's too big. God's too good. He's too faithful. He's too powerful. If y'all believe me, say amen. amen. His glory will be revealed. His power will be known. He will be honored. And guess what? His saints will persevere. His saints will persevere. So now is not the time to get distracted. Now is the time to get even more focused as Christ followers, even more focused as students, even more focused as people who place greater faith in God than any human government. You guys hear me? So again, turn to your neighbor and pat them on the back and say, let's get down to business. <laughs> to defeat the Huns. Alright, so my name is Pastor David, my first name is not Pastor. It's my title, it's my vocation, it's my calling, and I'm truly blessed to be where I'm at right now. And um, if you don't know, I'm a pastor of a, uh, Josh said this earlier, but I'm the pastor of a little church called Shining Star Community Church in Falls Church, say church. <laughs> it's located in Nova, okay? How many of you guys are from Nova? So, how many of you guys are from out of state? Where are you from? Delaware. All right. What about you? I saw a hand over here. Yeah. Atlanta. Atlanta. Okay, my wife is from Atlanta. Cool. It's hot there. If you all think that Nova is humid, go to Atlanta. Anyways, I digress. So, um, born and raised in Northern Virginia. I went to Mason High School and then to Washington Bible College, which is near College Park, Maryland. If you guys... 
are unfamiliar with that area. And I'm married to Grace, right? And together we have I, uh, we have a three-year-old girl named Ada. Her, her name is spelled A-I-D-A. A lot of people say, oh, Aida. <laughs> and then they say, we didn't know that you love the African musical so much. And so we had no idea there was an African musical called Aida. And um, we didn't name our daughter after the African musical. Um, her name means helper in Hebrew, right? Okay, to aid. And uh, so we also have a Temikol, right, whom I've narcissistically named after myself, David Jr. Um, so after we had our second kid, my wife and I, we would love to have more kids. But, you know, um, something happens to couples, okay, who, who suddenly get one of each. Like you no longer have the pressure to get any more. You know, like you're kind of done. Like the other day I went to a chiropractor and uh, he was readjusting my neck and um, we we're just talking a little bit. And he said, so I was like, well, tell me about your family. And he goes, well, I got three girls. And before I said anything after that, I was gonna, if anything, I was going to be like, oh, that's cool, right? Before I say anything, he goes, no, no I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we have a one-year-old golden doodle named Stevie. It's interesting. I brought him home. And before I brought him home, I actually stopped by my parents' house. My dog is a big dog lover. And so I bring him over. My dad's like petting the puppy. And then he goes, so what would you name him? I said, I just got him. I didn't name him anything. I can't think of anything. So my dad, who's the senior pastor of our church, holds the puppy, uh, his head in his hands. And my dad closes his eyes and starts like muttering something, whatever. So I'm like, okay, what's going on? And my dad, as he opens his eyes, he goes, Stephen. <laughs> and I said, what'd you say? And he goes, your dog's name is Steven. He looks like a Steven. And so I was like, okay, that's like the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life or heard in my life. But at the same time, it was just hilarious, right? Like the senior pastor blessing a dog and calling him not just any name, but like a human name, right? Steven. And so we thought because it was just so weird and so funny at the same time, we decided to keep it. But calling him Steven's weird. So we dogified it and we called him Stevie. All right. Um, anyways, so that's a little bit of who I am and, 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 um, and my family. And I'm, just, again, excited and blessed to be here, to have been invited here. I had dinner at uh, Buffalo Wing Factory with some of my um, church babies, including, well, I found out it's, his name is Dylan. Um, <laughs> like I just found out. Um, and because there's so many Daniels, I suppose, and that makes sense. Y'all are Korean, right? So... Uh, but Justin also is someone who uh, I've known for quite a while too and just totally blessed and honored to uh, be here and to work with him and partner with him in this. And so it's just an even greater privilege just to speak and share this message with you. So thank you. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to, or your phones, turn with me up to, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, okay? Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. If y'all got, say amen. amen. Okay, I'm going to read and y'all follow along. This is chapter 4, Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. <coughs> And the devil took him up and showed him all the kings of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. 
And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, uh, your God, and, and him only shall you serve. Verse 9. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him in, in verse 12, It is said, You should not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Can, you, can you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness, Lord, because you alone are God. And today, uh, here at Virginia Tech, what a blessing um, to be here and to hear your word. And I just pray just for an open heart. And maybe right now a lot of us here are struggling with skepticism, unbelief, doubts. Maybe a lot of us are still somehow kind of influenced heavily by uh, past guilt or shame or mistakes that we've made in the past are just really kind of making it hard for us to approach your throne of grace. And maybe today we need to understand what that means. And today maybe we really, we really need to understand and dissect our hearts and where we're at with you. And so, Father, I pray that today, more than anything, that really um, your words would be spoken in such a way that not just where we feel better about ourselves, uh, and nor do I want us to feel condemned either, Father, but I pray that today, if anything, today you will be known. And, and your goodness will be known and that you are really a merciful and gracious and a lovely father who, who asks his children to constantly come up to him. And, and because you're so loving and so wonderful, Father, I pray that you just receive maximum honor and glory today. So we thank you. Be with us. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Okay. So <clears throat> I got a few points to make today. Okay. Now, I think right now with all the uncertainties up in the air, there's a lot of tension there's a lot of tension right now, especially from this week, right? Racism, bigotry, there's the whole kind of immigration situation, right? There's, it's enough to make anyone feel insecure, whether you're Asian, black, white, whatever, okay? If not even fearful for your life. So today, I really believe now is really the time for us to learn what true faith is. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's learn. So, you know, when life seems in disarray and circumstances difficult, when life is really just kind of spiraling out of control and it's, it's difficult and it's cloudy, this is when you really see where your faith has been placed in all along, okay? You can never really tell how strong your faith is when times are good. When you get 4.0 GPA, yeah, you don't really know how strong your faith is. When your friends are surrounding you and around you and you have a lot of great support and all stuff, no, it's not even then, or when money's in the bank, or when mom and dad are happily married, or when brother and sister are healthy and strong. That's not really, it's during those good times when your faith doesn't really get tested. You see, it gets tested at times when you feel like you might lose your student or working visa because of a possible shift in immigration policy. It's when your friends start maliciously calling you a bigot, traitor, moron for voting for the opposite candidate. It's when you suddenly get hit with an onslaught of racial slurs at the gas station for just pumping your gas and just being someone who doesn't look like everyone else. You see, it's times when, when times are trying and when it's bleak and circumstances are difficult is when you, and it's when you want to lash out and when, when you want to give up and when you want to just take the shortcut. This is when you really see what your faith is made up of during the difficult times. So the challenge for us is when all the hate that's going around, will you also give in to that hate or will you love? Because let's be honest, it's easier to hate than to love. Instead of listening, trying to have a dialogue and have, having to communicate with other people, will you just name call them and shut them up and cast them out of your mind and heart forever? 
You see, now more than ever, all of you, it is time for us to gauge our hearts. Check our hearts and see where your faith has been residing in all along. Has it been residing in the immovable, grace-filled, blood-shed cross of Jesus? Or has your faith been on the good times of life, the circumstances, the prosperity of family, the deals that you make with God, the popular trends of society and culture, and things like that? You see, is your faith based on the circumstances that go up and down, or is it in the one above the circumstances? Christ Jesus. So here's my first point. Jesus, okay? Jesus is the one whom we have to place our faith in because he has proven himself faithful. Can you say faithful to me? Faithful. Okay, now, so in this election year, you've heard law candidates bragging about their proven track record. You'll, you'll hear Donald Trump brag about his business accomplishments. I'm a billionaire. He'll talk about his market acumen. You can disagree with all this stuff too, but this is what they're saying. He's, talk, he's bragging about his, his desire to make America what it once was, great. And Hillary Clinton would also brag about her political career, her ability to navigate your foreign policy with ease and diplomatic um, whatever and all this stuff. And she'll brag about her experience and her level-headedness. And then we have people like Gary Johnson who will brag about the fact that he's not either one of them. Right? And so people vote for these candidates because there was something about their track record that appealed to them. But the reality is, as accomplished as Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton or Trump or anyone might be, they're still imperfect, right? They're still at fault. They're still, they still are blemished. But guess what? We have someone who's not blemished. We have someone who is not at fault. We have someone who is perfect. He's a savior, and he's not from politics. Your savior is not going to come from the government. It's not going to come from society or culture. It's certainly not going to come from the Kardashians, okay? Your savior... That can come from any political platform or affiliated with any particular party. He is the one from heaven. He is the word of God. He is Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. He has proven himself faithful. He has proven himself worthy to be followed to the ends of the earth. So no matter how much opposition you face here on out, face here on out, no matter how much you have to deny yourself, no matter how much you have to die to yourself, he is worthy to be followed for the rest of our lives simply because he is God alone. He is Savior. So under this point of Jesus' faithfulness, I want to elaborate a little bit more. Jesus proven himself to be a faithful man. Can you say faithful man? Faithful man. So when you think of Jesus' 40 days of temptation in the wilderness, what story in the Bible comes to mind? There's a few. Does anyone know? Right? When you think of, you probably think of Moses maybe, right? When he went to Mount Sinai. Went to Mount Sinai, he was there, and he fasted for 40 days. Or how about Elijah? He was running away, and he was tired, but God, he sent angels to give him a little food, to give him enough energy to make his trek to Mount Horeb, which t lasted 40 days. Or how about uh, Israelites in the wilderness during the, during the uh, trek to the promised land? What were they doing? It could have lasted only 40 days, but it ended up lasting one entire generation, 40 years. Or how about... Jesus' temptation, doesn't it bring back memories of the first temptation in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve? So to read of Jesus going to the wilderness to be tempted shows us that he went to be tempted just as the people of God have so often been tempted. So Jesus, too, was hungry. This is, this is the humanity of Christ. He was hungry. He was alone. And guess what? He had no one, nothing. Everyone failed him. Everything failed him. But he had only one thing. He had the promises of God. 
He had the promise of God to lead him. He had the promises of God to sustain him in the midst of all this fierce temptation, in the midst of all these difficult circumstances and trying times. He only had one thing. He had the promise of God, nothing else. Brothers and sisters, that's all you got to in this life. Your future wife will fail you. Your future husband will fail you. Your mom and dad will fail you. Your brother and sister, your professors, your best friends, everything and everyone will fail you. But all we have in this life is the promises of God. We have God. Let me say, that's more than enough. Amen? So just imagine the Son of God deliberately emptying Himself of His power and His authority simply to be in the position of a man. A man under the authority of God's law. Jesus was there from the beginning. He saw the first Adam. He saw how he was tempted by Satan and how he royally messed up. And so we, he falls in temptation, sin enters the world, and mankind gets thrown off the track. But now here comes a second Adam named Jesus. He alone is also in the wilderness. He's all by himself. He's lonely, but he, and he's also met by the tempter Satan. What's the difference? The difference is, unlike Adam, Jesus, he obeys God. Unlike Adam, Jesus, he wins. Even though Christ was man, even though Christ was tempted, even though Christ was alone and weak, he never once lost sight of his relationship with God. He trusted in the will of God and in the promises of God. You see, when you're going through a hard time right now, you fixate on one thing. Not on your horizontal circumstances and situations and relationships. You fixate on that vertical relationship of yours. You know, what, you know what's amazing about what God said to King David? You know, King David was a shepherd boy, right? He didn't say anything to King David. He didn't say, I need you to have a, uh, a finance background, a kingdom background. I need you to be an amazing general. I need you. He didn't say any of that stuff. He said this, I want you, David, to fixate on me and me only. Because you fixate, you keep your eyes cast on me. I'll take care of everything else. Brothers and sisters, that's the same thing God is saying. He's saying, you know what? Work with me. Trust me. Have faith in who I am and everything else. Look, I'll take care of it. I'm the Lord over your life. I'm the Lord over all creation. I'm your God. So that's what Jesus did. He won. He was victorious because he trusted, not in the circumstances of how bleak the situation was, but he trusted in the will and the promises of his heavenly Father. And so maybe right now you guys also feel a bit inadequate or fearful because of the many times that you've given into sin. Perhaps you're thinking that what I'm saying is, Christ did it, therefore so can you. That's not exactly what I'm saying. Look, the faith you have to lead you through the difficulties of your life is only as strong as the object of your faith. You've heard that before. It's only as strong as the object of your faith. It's not, let me say it a different way. It's not that your prayers, who prays here? Okay, not enough people. So I'm going to say most of you guys, at one point or another, you pray. Your prayer, okay, it's not that your prayers are powerful. It's the one in whom you pray to that is powerful. Do you believe that? Right? It's not that your prayers are powerful. <laughs> there was a point in my life when um, I thought the louder I prayed, the more effective it would be. Right? I'm like, God, hear me out and give me the A for something, you know? So it's not about that. It's not that our faith that is strong that will lead us to temptation. It's the one whom we have faith in, who has gone and who has been tempted and who has won. Jesus. So the first thing is this. We need to place greater faith in Christ Jesus. I don't care if you're a Christian just today or yesterday or you've been a Christian your entire life. Every single day we remind ourselves of the gospel and that we need to place and replace our faith in Christ Jesus. Amen? 
So stop placing your hopes and dreams in any person, any man or woman. Stop placing your hopes and dreams even in yourself and in your own ambition and talents because it's not going to happen. You have to place it in Christ alone. Say, place it in Christ alone. So how do we do that? As a believer, how do we place greater faith in Christ Jesus? Here's the thing. You need to get to know Him. You just need to get to know Him. Explore His promises. Explore His love for you through the written Word of God. This is our problem right now, okay? We're so willing to read Huffington Post articles and BuzzFeed news articles. We're so willing to read Facebook updates and allow that to shape our ideas and our thoughts and our worldview. And you have to admit, during this whole election time, how much has the media shaped and affected and impacted your thoughts and your views on the candidates, on people in general, and everything else? So much. How much more do we need to set time aside for Scripture, the words that are true, the words that are good to code over our souls? How much more do we need God's truth to transform our hearts and to conform our minds to His? So the first step in overcoming temptation, the first step in overcoming the difficult times of our lives is through really one option, and that's the only option. Rest your faith in Christ Jesus. Like rest. Right now everyone's in big, just like they got a lot of energy. You're, everyone's like tense and excited and also just bewildered by what's going on, but there's a lot of just bad tension energy and whatever you want to call it. But right now, God is saying this. If you're feeling unsure and you're just going through a difficult time, it's not that you need to build up more energy. He's saying you need to rest more in me. You need to surrender more in me. You need to give it up and get in me, he says. Enough with everything else, more of me. Everyone say more of God. So rest your faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now another point is that not only has Christ proven to be faithful, but he has also shown us how to be faithful. So let's be honest here. You guys are in college. Woot woot hokies. Sorry. (laughs) College, which I believe is the Greek word for trouble. Anyways, so it's difficult. It's difficult to live out your faith in this type of setting. Some of you guys have just come out of high school where you were just like in this little bubble wrap area zone right you've never seen anything bad or like you've just been so kind of sheltered in many ways and and so you now all of a sudden have all this freedom and you guys love it i know you guys love it no one's really holding you accountable mom and dad aren't checking over your shoulders to see if you're doing well spiritually or academically or anything like that so it's really you just been when you turn 17 or 18 you've been thrown to the deep end that is blacksburg right now, before I went to Washington Bible College, I went to a school up in Chicago called Trinity. And it was a Christian school, but like churches, not everyone was a Christian, right? So I had friends who were non-Christians and whatever. And I remember this one particular day, um, I, I was hanging out with my friends. And um, I said, who wants to carpool with me to church this Sunday, right? I just wanted to get a head count to see who can uh, go with me. So as I said, that one upperclassman, uh, nice guy and everything, but he was, definitely wasn't a believer. He says... Dude, like, this is college. This, is, this needs to be the best four years of your life. You can go to church any other time, but college is not forever. Let's party. Let's go somewhere. Come on, don't go to church. And I really don't know how to respond to that, so I was like, thank you. My point is this, it's difficult to be where you are and trying to live a gospel-centered life. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's tough to be a holy party animal. 
Look, there's a lot of distractions in life in general, but it seems to be magnified in college settings. So I know for many of us, especially for those of you guys who call themselves Christians, for those of you who call yourself believers in Christ Jesus, hey, Naya, how you doing, girl? Come sit down. Naya, ando. Naya, ando. All right. Um, as Christians, as believers, what? We want to please God. Right? We want to live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, but it's difficult. Now, I don't know about you, but the way I best learn isn't through just necessarily reading something. I prefer to see someone do it, display it, model it, fix it, then I learn. That's why I think YouTube has been such, while it has been a huge distraction, it's also been a huge godsend. Right? In that it's taught me, how many of you guys have learned an instrument through YouTube? Right? So a lot of people do that. Back in my day, before internet came up, right? I would actually go to a guitar instructor, and he would teach me. He had to pay money. But now on YouTube, you can just learn it that way. And so, um, but it's best to, it's best, I think, even the best instructions in the world are nothing compared to the one who can show you how to do it. Well, in this passage, Jesus, he gives us a model, and he shows us how to successfully resist Satan, resist temptation, resist the brokenness of the world, and remain Faithful. So let's look at verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read it real quick. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. Being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. So here's my point. Whatever your needs may be, whatever your situation is, and it's dire, and you're, just asking, you're crying for help, and you're saying, God, I need this, I need this, I need this. God's word takes precedence before your needs. God's word takes precedence. And let me explain. I bet most, if not all of you guys, have been hungry. Obviously, right? Like, I'm so full right now. I can't stop saying that. It was delicious, but I'm so full. Anyways, so some of you guys have been hungry, and some of you guys have been chowing down since the moment you guys moved here. I think Virginia Tech is number one in campus food. Is that correct? Back in my day, it was JMU. Right? So I guess it's just shifted. And uh, so Virginia Tech has some amazing food. Some of you guys is no longer freshman 15, it's freshman 50, but whatever. Right? So y'all need to chill out with the buffets, start working out. You know, it's interesting. I'm not, okay. Um, I'm not trying to say I'm holier than thou because I'm definitely not. But my wife, she's a doctor. And so whenever we walk, we never really walk hand in hand. We walk hand in wrist. You get what I'm saying? She's always walking like this with me. Why? She's always checking. My <laughs> with my, yeah, my vitals, essentially. And so I said, wife, hold my hand. And she goes, look, I don't want you to die. I'm like, that's so romantic. Um, you had me, I die. Right, anyways. Anyways, uh, so she's, she's been really particularly kind of, you know, fixated on me trying to get back in shape and all that stuff. And so uh, six months ago, she told me to get a phys physical. And so I went in and I, 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 thought I, I thought I was fine, but when I got my test results, I had high cholesterol, high uh, blood pressure, high triglycerides. I didn't even know that I had triglycerides. Um, I had high this and high everything, like literally high everything. It was so bad that her colleague, who was my doctor, said when he called me with the test result, he goes, hey, David. I was like, hey, Mike. And he goes, uh, so is Grace there? I was like, no. you." Oh, do you have the results? He's like, yeah. I go, yeah, you can tell me. He's like, no, I'd rather uh, tell Grace. 
I was like, I'm like, dude, just tell me. He's like, no, I'd rather tell Grace. I was like, just tell me. He's like, I need to tell Grace. I'm like, oh my gosh. So, so he made me do a, he, he forced me to do a conference call with my wife. So he's telling, saying, spewing out all these numbers, and my wife, um, she comes back home and she just gives me like his daggers, you know. And so after that, she told me I need to work out and all that stuff. And let me say this, it's true. As Christians, it's mind, body, and soul. Amen. Right. So we gotta work out. We gotta take care of our body. Turn to your neighbor and say, take care of your body. Is that insulting? <laughs> you need to work on yourself? All right. Okay. So what's going on here in Luke chapter 4? Jesus is hungry, like big time. Like we get hungry if we skip a meal. Jesus skipped a month plus more of meals. Just imagine that. Okay, he, this wasn't a diet fad of his. He wasn't doing the, you know, what's called the Alzheimer's diet? The, um, what's that, Atkins diet? He wasn't doing anything like that. He wasn't doing just a three-day fast. You know, if you've ever seen anyone fast for more than even 14 days, you know that their life is on the line. Seriously. You know, we've had several church members hospitalized because of this. They were spitting up blood. Their organs were shutting down. It's no joke. Now, the reality is you and I, we're in the part of the world where we really never face the threat of starvation, but here we have Jesus. Now, it's interesting. Before he even, even any of this happened, before he even got tempted, God previously was speaking words of affirmation to him. He was saying, he's saying, I'm pleased with you, my son. He was affirming the sonship of Christ. So we would think things are good. No problem. God is pleased with Jesus. Jesus should then be taken care of. Life is all well. Well, here in verse 3, Satan comes along and says, Hey, Jesus, if you're the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. Sounds a lot like the serpent said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? Did God really say that you shouldn't eat this? Now, what in the world would be wrong if Jesus really turned stone into bread? I mean, Jesus is God, and he was hungry. What's the big whoop? Jesus, he has the power to, and the authority to do anything he wants. He fed thousands of people with just a couple loaves of bread and a couple of fish. He enabled Peter to catch a massive load of fish. What's the big deal here if he changes stone into bread? And here's the problem. Satan was trying to set the needs of Jesus. Get this. Satan was trying to set the needs of Jesus over the faithfulness of God's word. Meaning, Satan was pitting, okay? He was pitting Jesus' immediate need or issue, in this case it was his hunger, against God's commitment. Not our commitment, but God's commitment to his son. In essence, Satan was saying this, you can't rely on God's promises. Sure, I mean, he calls you his son yesterday, Jesus, but where is he now? You're starving. You're broken. You're emaciated. You're in need. You're hurting. Where's God now? Why would you starve to death out here? Why would you just wait out here for God to keep his word? That's crazy. Do what you got to do for yourself, Jesus. Take care of yourself. So now we've got Jesus faced with a choice. Does he trust his father's promised care? Or does he take matters into his own hands, as Satan suggested, and go the safe route and go make some bread? Jesus responds. He says, man shall not live by bread alone. So get this, people. You and I, we face the same kind of temptation. 
We're often caught up in our needs, our need for food, our need for comfort, our need for security, our need for sense of well-being, our need for pleasure, for praise, for worth, for self-esteem, and we'll do whatever we can to meet those needs. Like right now, with all the backlash with the election, we're hearing of racism on the rise. We hear of death threats towards minorities and immigrants and the immediate response for many people is to live fearfully, to live in bitterness, to live in hatred towards those who are expressing hatred towards us. And it seems like an obvious and most logical response to our current crisis. Yeah, you're going to hate me. I'm going to hate you. You're going you're gonna to make me live in fear. I'm going to make you live in fear too. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. Meaning what? Meaning right now, God is saying, what is the word of God saying to you? In the midst of such difficulty and stress, what is the word of God saying to you? Your immediate need is to knuckle up and to lash out, whether it's your Facebook updates, posting, whether it's to attack people who are Trump supporters or whatever you want to call it. That's our immediate kind of impulsive need right now. But what's the word of God saying to you? How is God asking you to respond to all this negativity, all this hatred, and all this ignorance? He says, love them. Love them. Even your enemies, especially your enemies. We're called to stand upon the word of God as the pillar of our faith. We're called to rest in Christ and know that our identity, okay, it's not Asian, American, black, white, immigrant, or minority. It's Christian. That's our identity. It's Christian. And as Christians, you got one job. That's to trust God. Trust and obey him. Because God's word is forever. His word is what gives us strength. But here's the thing. When you trust in the word of God, when you live according to the word of God, and you trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the very gospel nature that will transform the lives of people who oppose you. <coughs> so whether it's starvation, financial debt, academic problems, loneliness, guilt, or past sins, obscurity, pain, or even death, or all this tension, whatever it is, don't live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Trust the word of God. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, let's give PD a break. Thank you. I had pneumonia a couple weeks, so feel sorry for me. All right. <clears throat> so from verses 5 to 8, um, let me read this. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kings of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all, the, all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and, and I give to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So here it is, folks. The point is, don't sell your soul to the world for comfort, for popularity, for ease, or success. You hear me? You know what matters most to God right now during this, time, during this election? It wasn't who was going to win. You know, during the Super Bowl, you guys, both teams are praying, right? God's not like, I'm going to let the Patriots win this time. No. He's, he's not worried about that. He's not worried about who's going to take over office. No matter <clears throat> what matters to God the most has nothing to do with any of the chaos that happened two, three days ago. What matters most to God is our faithfulness to Him. Our faithfulness to Him, no matter the outcome. God's not looking at the Oval Office. Get this. He's not looking at the Oval Office. He's looking at your heart right now. He's looking at your heart. He's not looking at the Republican platform. He's looking right at your spirit. He's worried. He's concerned. He's thinking about the individual, but you. Will you or won't you be faithful? 
So Satan approaches Jesus with an offer. He says, I'll give you everything, Jesus. Authority, kingdoms, if you worship me, all of it will be yours. By the way, this wasn't some bogus promise. Satan is referred to as the God of this world, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And the kingdoms of this world was firmly in Satan's control. It started with Adam and then went to Cain. And then one by one, Satan led rebellion against the Creator. So the world's the same. So here we have Jesus being offered a deal. Now, Jesus knew what was coming ahead. Okay? He knew what was coming ahead. He knew why he came to the earth. To the earth. To earth. He saw the pains of his ministry. He saw, despite all the miracles, evidencing his glory, his deity, his identity as the Son of God. He knew that people still would not believe. Jesus saw the suffering. He saw the, the coming mocking and humiliation. And he saw the cross. You see, Jesus, he saw the cross and he saw the silence of his father when he would hang up on that cross. And here we have Satan offering Jesus an easy way out. Jesus in the wilderness. Satan's not asking Jesus to go ahead and bow before him in front of the temple in front of all the other people. No, it's just them two. Who would know? Who would see? No one will know. It's only between Satan and Jesus. Just one bending of the knee is enough to acknowledge Satan. Man, how many times have we been there? Just one knee. I mean, we've gotten so accustomed to compromise, haven't we? An easy way out. For us, we really don't count the cost. It's just worship, we say, that's being sold away. No biggie. But Jesus would never dare. He wouldn't have none of it. And so he quotes from Deuteronomy, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. So here's the issue, folks. It's worship versus success. How many times has that battled in your life? Worship versus success. What's more important to you? Let me ask another way. The faithful, singular worship of God, what would it take to make you set it aside? What does it take on any given day to keep you from the Lord? Or how about this? What does it take to keep you away from the corporate worship that God commands? After a long week of studying, maybe some of you guys are saying, man, I deserve a weekend of just chilling, relaxing, partying it up. I always say I won't be able to wake up Sunday morning for church. Is it your social life? Maybe some of you guys haven't found a church to attend because it's not like your church back at home. So church to you becomes more about a buffet. You pick and choose. It's about preference then rather than obediently becoming a part of Christ's body. So whether it's your family or school or social life, your image before your friends, all these things, all these things are not worth compromising your devotion to Christ. Maybe for some of you guys here, you stopped doing quiet time. QT. Maybe you stopped hanging out with God in the morning or in the afternoon or throughout the day because you've allowed more room for something else. You've allowed more room for Netflix or for academics or for socialization. Don't sell, don't sell your soul for success. Don't sell your soul for socialization, for more friends. God's not looking for the successful you. He's looking for the faithful you. Okay? He would rather have a heart that's devoted to Him rather than a heart that's lukewarm but with high GPA. He's not concerned with dazzling, impressive results. He concerned, he's concerned with this obedient devotion. Where are you with the Lord? Lastly, this is my last point. We don't test God. God tests us. Say this, God tests us. God tests us. <clears throat> you guys are doing well. Okay, everyone likes, uh, raise your hands and stretch. Okay? 
and say, we are the world. <laughs> what time is it? Oh, I have that. All right. <clears throat> so we got this weird thing going on in Christian circles these days. It says, God wants you happy. God wants you rich. God wants you to have whatever you want. So all you need to do is pray about it, name it, claim it by faith. You've heard that? It's called the prosperity gospel. So I get it. We all want people of faith, but that's not how biblical faith expresses itself. So here's the third temptation. God has his promises, right? But the temptation is to lay aside our responsibility to be faithful under pressing times or circumstances. And so what happens is, is that we begin to use God's promise as if there are rights to be demanded. So let me clarify. Now, we don't know the specific details of, of how this happened, but somehow Jesus was taken to the highest point of the temple. And up there saying he quotes scripture of Jesus. By the way, isn't that alarming? Like saying is quoting scripture to Jesus. Satan knows scripture, by the way. Admittedly, he twists it and he, and, he, and he messes it up. But he does it in such a way where it sounds like truth, but it's really half-truth. And anything that's not a full truth is really a lie. So he's twisting these words and he does it to tempt us. Brothers and sisters, this is why we need to know the word of God. Satan knows it. So Satan quotes from Psalms, and this is my paraphrase, that God promised to send you angelic protection. And the reality is God did promise this, yes. He said, are you the son of God? Aren't you the son of God? And the answer is, of course, Jesus is. He goes, okay then. Throw yourself down from here and give God the chance to send his angels to rescue you. In other words, Jesus, don't just say that God is God. Don't just say that God is powerful and, and that he's your protector and that he loves you. If God is God, then treat him like God. Make him take ownership <clears throat> of his promises. Trust him for the impossible. Throw yourself down there. Let him save you. Maybe you felt inclined to test God these past few days. Maybe this is something you've done along your believing or unbelieving life. God, if you're really good, if you're really good, God, take my pain away. God, if you're really loving, can you, can you give me this or give me that? God, if you're truly generous, can you fill my bank account with more money or at least take away my crippling student loan? God, if you're really God, okay, then take my suffering away and make my life easy for me and for my family. Have you guys ever said that? What does Jesus say to Satan? He says, it is said you should not put the Lord your God to the test. What is Jesus saying here? In effect, Jesus is saying, this is a question of sovereignty. In other words, hey, Satan, who's calling the shots here? Who's in charge? Who's in control here? You see, Jesus at this moment saying, thou shalt not te uh, test the Lord. He's saying, look, God is in control. God is in control. I don't get to test him. He gets to test me. I don't put him on trial. He puts me on trial. My father doesn't have to do anything I ask him to. When I say jump, he doesn't have to say how high. My father doesn't have to listen to my commands. I must obey his commands. You see, people, God, he made you. Can you say amen? amen? Then, through the blood of Christ, he bought you. This means God doubly owns you. His promises are not my rights. I am at his disposal. God, the creator of the world, has rights over me, not the other way around. What's happening with all the people around the nation right now? They're protesting. They're crying. 
They're canceling college classes. People are saying they're moving to Canada, all because the rights they felt they had were not met. And it's no surprise, folks, because before we as Christians laugh at them and scoff at them, we've been playing this game from the beginning with God. That type of attitude affects our relationship with Him, our relationship with one another, our relationship with the church. I have my rights and you better meet them. Like I end with this. We need to stop creating greater suffering in our lives by placing such high hopes and such deep affection and faith in man or government or grades or even in yourself. Your faith was meant to be placed in one person alone, Jesus Christ. Because he's proven himself. Like right now we're waiting, we're saying, Donald, I hope you prove yourself. Uh -uh. Whether he does a good job or not, he will never prove himself to be the one where we can place our faith in. Jesus has proven himself to be faithful. And so as tumultuous as life has been as of late for the believer, there should be a steadiness. Steadiness in your response. Right now, when everyone's going crazy and mad, and they're saying, how dare you? And they're doing sin and protest and all that stuff. You as the believer, there needs, there needs to be steadiness in your life, in the way that you speak, in the way that you think, in the way that you act, so that when believers witness it, they should curiously come out and seek out how in, this world can, how in the world can you have such peace at a time like this? And that's when we tell them of the good news of Jesus Christ, that though the grass withers, the flowers fade, the word of God stands forever. Place your hope not in a greater America or the hopes that in the next four years a better candidate will come. Salvation is not found in the Oval Office. It's found in Christ Jesus. And he has proven himself again and again to be faithful. And he has shown us how to be faithful. So let the word of God, okay, as Christians, because this is all we got in this life. Let the word of God take precedence over your needs. Don't, let, don't sell your soul to the world. Don't compromise. Don't, don't so easily give up and bend your knee and, and say, yes, Satan. Stop testing God. Remember, God is God. He is faithful. He is just. And we can trust in who he is no matter what happens in our lives. Amen? Amen? Amen. You guys happy? Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. The day that we found out about the election, right? I was happy. Not because I any of what happened. But I'm happy. I came home. My wife came home a little bit afterwards. And everyone in, her, in the hospital were just barking at each other. And they're talking about, and they're even having like arguments in the, uh, in the little like the, the locker rooms and stuff like that. And my wife was just like fed up and she's, and she's looking at me and she's like, what's with you? I'm like, what's with you? Yeah, that's how we talk, right? <laughs> and she goes, what's with you? She's like, aren't you, aren't you upset? I'm like, no. Like, yeah, I mean, maybe it would have been a little bit better if, if Hillary was appointed, but you know what? God is God. And, and that's really the, the simple message for us as Christians. Do you believe that God is God? Do you believe that He is in control? Do you believe that He can make the worst situation work out for His good and for His glory? If you believe that, that's all you need. That's all you need. So trust Him. Let the Word of God lead you. Don't let your emotions, don't let the media, don't let, any, don't let the circumstances. Just trust and rely on, in God. And in Christ Jesus, because he has proven himself faithful to us. Amen? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, again, Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to speak your word. And truly, um, it's been a message that's been on my heart really ever since. And uh, what's interesting is this passage was pre-selected even a week before. Um, and so how it just kind of tied in with what's going on right now. Truly, I think we need to be reminded, Lord, because we're feeble-minded and we so often just kind of lose sight of what you're doing and um, how you're working in this world, even though we can't see it. It seems like as if you're not working, but you are, God. And um, I just pray right now that, that maybe as college students, we're a bit upset, we're tired, not just from the academic issues and stresses, but not, maybe it's from family issues too, but we're just tired in general. I was speaking to a couple of my of my, of my uh, church peeps here, and they're, they're, they said they had a long week and they're tired. They're just emotionally, physically, spiritually drained, and I get that. We all are. But see, it doesn't, we don't get energized just from having another break or we don't get energized from sleeping in and watching Netflix or not thinking about the current events. Lord, our true rest comes from in you, Jesus, because you're our Sabbath. Our true rest comes when we surrender and we say, God, I can't, but you can. Like right now, everything seems so impossible, whether it's doing well in school, graduating on time, maybe there's family issues, maybe right now the whole election and all that stuff. He's thinking everything's just impossible, it's just dismal and there's really no hope right now. But as you see, this is, this is the beauty of what God does. It is in times of impossibility that God truly works and this is when God's glory shines. So Lord, I just pray right now for every student here who's come and who knows you or who doesn't know you. Whoever doesn't know you, Father, I pray that they'll come to faith in Christ Jesus, knowing that they can't depend, um, they can't continue living their lives circumstantially. It just fluctuates. There's no steadiness in anything else in this world. But Lord, there's a steadiness in you, Jesus. So I pray that they'll come to faith in you and surrender and just relinquish their entire hearts, their sins, everything to you, knowing that you are good and faithful and that you will forgive them. And Father, for those who are believers, I pray that today would just be a recommitment, a time where they would say, God, I want more of you. I want to trust you. I want to rest more in you. And I'm sick and tired of trying to figure things out for myself. I just want more of you. That's it. Very simply, I want more of you, God. So Jesus, make yourself known today. Spirit, Holy Spirit, comfort us right now. We need your comfort. We need your peace. We need your presence. So lead us. Brothers and sisters, as the um, closing song as the praise uh, continues, I just want to give you guys just like 30 seconds to pray your prayer. Okay, whatever that might be, whatever the Lord is convicting in your heart to just surrender to the Lord, surrender to the cross, whatever it is. Maybe it's, you have fear. Maybe you have a lot of insecurities. Maybe you have a lot of pain and bitterness because someone said something really bad towards you this week. Maybe you're scared about your immigration or visa or whatever it is. I know, I know that stuff is real here. Give that up to the Lord. Give that up to the Lord. Okay? So let's go ahead and take a few seconds and...